Well, good morning, Springbrook. Welcome into the house of the Lord for worship. We are so excited to have you with us. Whether this is your first time here, your first time in a long time, or you have been coming faithfully for years and years, we are just glad that you chose to be with us this morning. We're expecting of the Lord to move in mighty, mighty ways in our midst today. If you're joining us online at our 9 o'clock service, we have online hosts available for you all throughout the service. They want to answer your questions. They want to get to know you, and they'd love to pray with you. So whatever you're going through, don't go through it alone. Use that request prayer button, and um, you'll go into a one-on-one private chat with one of our hosts. They'd love to pray with you and just walk with you through whatever you are facing today. So thank you for joining us. I'd love to invite you all now to stand as you're able, in body or in spirit, for our call to worship which comes from 2 Corinthians 3, starting in verse 17. It says, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of God, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. That's what we're here to do today. We are here to simply behold to behold God in all of his glory. And in that, we will be formed. We will be transformed by his spirit in us. So let's come before him. Let's give him the glory and the praise that he is worthy to receive today. But it was sinking sand So I put my ruins Into your hands And watch you restore them Yes, like only you can If the Lord If the Lord builds a house Nobody can tear it down If the Lord builds a house Nobody can tear it down Yours. As for me, 
Amen. For the Lord is good. He is great and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. That's Psalm 96.4. And Eugene Peterson paraphrases it this way in the message. He says, God is great and worth a thousand hallelujahs. His furious beauty puts the other gods to shame. Let's continue singing worship to our God who is worthy of a thousand hallelujahs. Resurrection means out. 
the name of Jesus is glorified. So we know you're moving in us. We know it's not in our own strength that we can even stand here today, let alone sing praises to you. We know it's, it's all you. We love because you first loved us. We sing because you put breath in our lungs. We stand here today because you shaped us and formed us and led us to this place, this exact place in time. No one is here this morning. No one is online and has found this live stream by mistake, by accident, by coincidence. God, you are at work. You are an intentional God who is doing things on purpose in us and through us and for us and for your glory. Will you just give us a sense of wonder, a sense of awe that we're even here, that we are gathered today. This is a miracle. This is beautiful. This is a work of your spirit. This is a mighty act of God that we are together. And we pray, Holy Spirit, that we would be attentive to you. That we wouldn't be here to pursue our own agenda or to try to pull something out of you, but that we would come open-handed, ready to receive what you have, your words, your spirit. Will you speak to us? Will you move in us? God, there are some here who are just hungry. They're just hungry for you. They're hungry for a reminder of what your presence feels like, of what your word sounds like. And so I pray, Holy Spirit, will you give us a sense that you're near? We know that you are, and we don't have to rely on our senses, but we, we ask for you to show yourself to us in a new way today. For those who are hungry for you, God, I believe that you honor our hunger for you. I believe that you satisfy. I believe you're the only thing that can. 
so we open ourselves to you as best as we can today. Our hearts, our minds, our eyes and our ears are open to you. Will you come and speak, come and move, come and transform us, that we might behold you in your glory and be transformed. Leaving here are people who have seen God and who reflect you to the world around us. All of this is for you. It's in Christ's name and for his honor and glory that we pray. Amen. And you may be seated. Amen. Welcome to Springbrook. My name is Richard. I'm the lead pastor of uh, Springbrook. And uh, we want to thank you for being with us this morning. I want to say hello to um, all of our online friends and family as well. We're glad that you're with us today. Uh, if this is your first or second time with us uh, this morning, if you're in person, you've got that connection card in your seat. We want to encourage you to take a moment to fill that out. If you're watching online, there's a link that you can click uh, to let us know that you were here as well. And if you're a regular attender, we're glad you're uh, here as well. It's exciting just to be able to be a part of what God's doing. We're glad that you are with us. And I wanted to take a moment to uh, just give a shout out to Elaine Haberstrow. I want to thank her for her faithfulness in leading our grief share ministry. Um, we had a difficult season through COVID, uh, navigating the in-person and online uh, small group. And then uh, this past year, we're still navigating the in-person. Uh, Elaine has had to step back from uh, grief share, but she has been faithfully serving in that ministry for a number of years now. So I just want to personally uh, thank her for her leadership. Um, we have been approached by grief share. Uh, if we don't have a leader, we have to take that group down. And so right now, we are in the process of taking our grief share our grief share group down, but it's killing me because I have three people that just signed up uh, for grief share, and then we have a couple families here at Springbrook as well. And so uh, we are praying for anyone that might be interested in leading uh, grief share. Uh, it's a 13-week small group that meets together to encourage one another to study the Bible. And uh, if you or someone you know might be interested in providing some leadership uh, in that capacity, we would love the opportunity um, to talk with you. We're looking for a couple or maybe a man and a female, male female kind of leads its co-ed. And so if you are interested in helping us keep Grief Share growing, I'd love the opportunity to talk more uh, with you about that. You can go to our website. Uh, springbrook.org slash grief. Uh, there's a place for you to uh, just express that interest, but I would love uh, the opportunity to talk with you. So be praying for that ministry. It's a great opportunity for us to connect with families in our community that are uh, grieving the loss of a family member or loved one. And so if you've got any questions about that, um, please uh, let us know. Also wanted to let you know next month we are kicking off a new Alpha small group. Alpha is a group designed to meet for 10 weeks. Um, we get together for a meal, a short talk, and then some discussion. It's designed for um, uh, those that have questions about God. We cover some of the basic uh, Christian beliefs, and so I'll be leading that along with uh, Brett Filer and Sherry Belke have offered to a step in and help me uh, host with that. Uh, but if you know somebody, maybe a friend or a family member, somebody, a coworker that you've been in conversations with, this is a great thing for you to bring them to. And so we'll be kicking this off on uh, March 15th. And so if you want more information, you can find that on our website and then on our app as well. Uh, but be praying for that ministry as we, we, we think about how we can effectively engage in having spiritual conversations uh, with those in our community. And so if you're interested in being a host for that, or maybe seeing a, another Alpha group started, I uh, would love the opportunity to talk with you about that um, as well. And then uh, lastly, ladies, I know uh, we kicked off our Aspire 
uh, registrations open now. Um, we, had a, we had a gift giveaway for Valentine's Day, so we've already had somebody's won two VIP tickets uh, for the Aspire Conference, and so that's going to be an exciting time for the ladies as well. We're still celebrating the work that God has done coming off of our Men's No Regrets Conference, and so I know Pastor Matt and Darren and that leadership team are looking to get some guys connected uh, coming off of No Regrets. But this is a great opportunity for us to engage and connect in spiritual conversations with friends and family. So be praying for us as we uh, move through uh, towards Easter. It's coming, right? And then uh, lastly, I just want to thank you for your faithfulness and your generosity in giving to Springbrook that is enabling us uh, to be effective at reaching our community for Christ and building disciples. Uh, Without your faithfulness and your commitment uh, to this work, um, we would be limited in our capacity to be effective. Now, God's going to do what he's going to do, but I want to thank you for your generosity. In fact, uh, we finished up our year-end offering. We were $23,000 of our $25,000 goal, so we were praising God for that. We were able to pay off our parking lot loan, and God has just really provided in that area. Uh, But we had a friendly donor, a family, uh, came to us last week and said they wanted to make sure that we made the $25,000 goal, so they made a contribution. And so now we officially made the $25,000 year-end offering. So... So I know uh, Pastor Tim's going to be out in a moment. We're going to be talking about money. And, uh, but I just want to encourage you, if you've got any questions about our finances uh, at Springbrook, uh, or you can talk to any member of our elder board, I uh, would be uh, more than happy to talk with you about our budget. Uh, we're looking forward to all that God has for us as we continue to move through this year, and uh, we are glad that you are, are with us today. Pastor Tim's going to be out in just a moment, but I want to thank you for being with us. morning. It's a painful thing to buy eggs these days, isn't it? Have you noticed that? I mean, we all know that the cost of everything is going up, but some chicken somewhere is making a killing. You know, every time we switch on uh, the news, we hear stuff about what's going on in the economy, whether it be what's happening in the stock market, whether it be related to inflation or interest rates or the rising cost of things. Because, uh, you see, the issue of money and finances and the economy, it affects every single one of our lives. It makes no difference where we stand on the political spectrum. It makes no difference what, what our educational background is. It makes no difference uh, uh, what vocation we are in. The issue of finances, the issue of money affects every single area of our lives. And, you know, sometimes people will come to me and they'll say, ah, you know, the Bible, it's kind of an antiquated book. I just don't see that it's really relevant to my life. And um, uh, usually when somebody says that to me, I I, I say, you know, have you you ever read it? Because, you know, it's full of stuff which is practical and relevant. In fact, from Genesis to Revelation, it speaks to every element of the human experience talks about who our God is, who we are before him. 
about our desperate need and how redemption is available only in Christ and then the joy of a new life that can be experienced in him when we bring every area of our lives under his lordship. But you know, when it comes to, in particular, the issue of money and finances, I think one of the reasons why it can be such a great challenge in our lives is that Jesus himself understood that it is probably the area that that most often keeps us from fulfilling everything we sang in that just in that song just a few minutes ago having our lives be all about Christ see the the issue of of, of our fears our worries our concerns our striving after our chasing after money and wealth and possessions often cause us to be in a place where we are putting our hope and our trust and our confidence in what we can get for ourselves rather than in Christ, who is Lord of all. Now, I'm aware pastor standing before you on a Sunday morning in a church, just even the fact that I mentioned money in my introduction has caused some of you to groan. But you see, as we continue our study this morning through the book of Proverbs, as we consider what it is to walk in wisdom, God's wisdom for our lives, one of the one of the themes, one of the subjects, one of the topics that the book of Proverbs deals with in uh, great depth is the issue of money and wealth and possessions because God understands that it's something that we struggle with. Um, it, it, back in the Old Testament, when the people of Israel were coming out of captivity in the land of Egypt and God was bringing them into this land that he had promised to them, in the book of Deuteronomy in chapter 8, he warns them. He says, be careful when you come into the land, after being in the wilderness, after seeing my provision, after going through everything that you've gone through and seeing my faithfulness, be careful that you not forget that you do not go in and start to, to, to eat of the harvest and to, 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 to drink from the vine and to live in these houses that you didn't even build and then say to yourself, ha, my strength and the might of my hand has gotten all of this for me. People of Israel were warned, don't let prosperity, don't let the things that God entrusts to you cause you to become proud and arrogant and forget God. And it goes on in Deuteronomy to say, for it is God himself who gives you the strength and the might to be able to get these things. So as we come once again this morning to the book of Proverbs, similar to what we did last week, if you were here doing something a little different, rather than moving through a single passage together, we're in a sense going to get a, uh, an overview of what Proverbs has to say on this very practical, very relevant, very important issue of money and of possessions. And, and, and we're really not going to go in the direction that maybe some of you think that we might be going really not going to talk about giving 
because there's something far more important. And that is that we would have a right perspective on our relationship to that which God entrusts to us so that we can keep a right relationship with our God. And so, those of you who didn't groan when I mentioned the word money may groan when I tell you that I have 11 points for my message this morning. Yeah. Don't tell the pastors that I teach preaching to that I'm preaching to you an 11-point message this morning, but we're going to go through them quickly as we review what it is God, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, has to say to us about walking wisely in the fear of the Lord when it comes to stuff. First thing, when we consider biblical wisdom for a godly perspective on money, is that we need to understand that there are extremes of wealth and of poverty that provide unique temptations to those who live in both of them. Uh, Again, this week, because we're going to be moving through multiple uh, things that the book of Proverbs has to say. I'm going to put the passages on the screen, but I do encourage you to take note of these and to check for yourselves even throughout the week to go back and review these. But Proverbs chapter 30, verses 7 through 9, uh, it says, two things I ask. Deny them not to me before I die. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. And then look at this. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. And so we face in life two temptations that both both wealth and poverty are wrought with danger. Now, one of the things we need to understand is that, that money and possessions are not good, and they are not bad. They are neutral. It is what we do with them and our attitude, our relationship to them that determines whether or not we are taking that which, which, which can be a good gift from God and use it wisely or, or if it is corrupting in its nature. And here in the book of Proverbs, we see this wonderful uh, uh, prayer in a sense. God, would you give me what I need and not too much? Because I know my heart. If I have too much, God, I, I am going to face the temptation of acting like I don't need you. Of rejecting you. Of, of, of putting my trust in the stuff that I've got and saying, thank you so much for your blessing, God. Now, I don't need you anymore. But likewise, God, the reality is that I do have needs. I have needs and they're real. God, would you meet those needs so that I don't have to go out and, and seek to get stuff in order to meet the needs that I have and that my family has in a way that would be dishonoring to you. And here he talks about 
stealing. And so we can think in particular in, in the days in which um, uh, the biblical author was writing the book of Proverbs about somebody who maybe would ha- was so hungry that in the marketplace they were having to steal a loaf of bread to provide for themselves. So we need to recognize again that, that the money and wealth and possessions in and of themselves are neutral. But we must be on guard that we don't have so much that we put our trust in it and forget God. Or, as we're going to see a little bit more this morning, that we, not, that, that we not be in such need that we would seek to gain what we need in an illegitimate way and dishonor or profane the name of God. We also see in the, the book of Proverbs the instruction that, uh, that we are to be uh, um, uh, careful of the attitude that we have to one another. You see, sometimes we can have a tendency to look down on others because of their economic situation. But Proverbs reminds us that the rich and poor are more alike than we think. uh, There are several different passages within Proverbs that deal with this. But Proverbs 22, 2 instructs us, reminding us the rich and the poor meet together. The Lord is the maker of them all. You know, one of the great challenges that we face in our culture and in our society is that we often will try to measure one another up. And we do it based on all sorts of different things. Sometimes, sometimes we can have a tendency, especially if we if if we're if we're working hard and we and, and we are in relative affluence that we can sometimes look down on others who have great need and we can assume that they are getting what they're due. That well, if you just worked harder, well, it's your fault. This is the land of opportunity. Work for it. We need to recognize that in our dealings with others, and it's certainly true, as we'll see in a few minutes, there, there, there is a foolishness that can lead to poverty. But we who seek to honor the name of Christ, we who seek to live lives that, that, that are, 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 are reflecting uh, godliness, we need to recognize that those around us are loved creations of God. And we need to make sure that our attitude toward them is not skewed, is not distorted by by, uh, uh, economic status. Rather, we need to understand that poverty is not pretty. And therefore, we need to be people of compassion. Again, Proverbs has a lot to say as these things kind of build on one another. A rich man's wealth is his strong city. The poverty of the poor is their ruin. Or Proverbs 14. The poor is disliked even by his neighbor, but the rich has many friends. Whoever despises his neighbor is a sinner, but blessed is he who is generous to the poor. 
And then Proverbs 19, wealth brings many new friends, but a poor man is deserted by his friends. And, uh, and the, these Proverbs are speaking again about that which is generally true about life in this world. Generally true about life under the sun. Uh, and so we need to understand, well, what is it that he's saying here? He's, he, he's pointing to the fact that, that there is a sense in which in the midst of this world that, that having wealth does put us in an easier position. Uh, that, that those who have are often able to encircle themselves with others who can assist and support them, while those who do not have often find themselves isolated. And I think that especially this middle one here, Proverbs chapter 14, it's an interesting uh, um, combination of these two verses, verse 20 and 21. The poor is disliked even by his neighbor, but the rich has many friends. So we have this statement But then it goes on to say, whoever despises his neighbor is a sinner. But blessed is he who is generous to the poor. And so so in in the unbelieving world, amongst those who are not followers of Christ, the attitude often is the fact that, that the poor are disliked by their neighbors. But that should not be the case when there is a follower of Christ involved. Instead, there should be a peculiar compassion towards those that they see who have need, and especially those who are are neighbors. And we learn from the New Testament, we learn from the, the, the parable of the Good Samaritan. When the man comes and says, who is my neighbor? And Jesus tells this parable. What we learn is that our neighbor is anybody that we meet who we are in in the position to give aid to. And so we are to uh, compassionately treat those around us rather than walking with a judgmental attitude toward them, recognizing the reality of the fact that there are many different reasons why people experience economic need. But you and I, are not so much given the responsibility of passing judgment over why they're in that place of economic need. Our responsibility as followers of Christ is to say, in what way can I show the compassion of Christ to others who are in need? One of the things that we, we do when we have a right perspective on those who have less is it helps us to have a right perspective on our own lives. And so throughout the book of Proverbs, we see some further instruction. We see that we should not worry about keeping up with the Joneses. Of course, you're probably familiar with that expression. It's that idea of, of, of always having your eye on what the neighbors have. It's kind of when you come in from work and uh, you, uh, uh, you walk in the door and you say, oh, have you seen the new car they've got next door? How come they get to have that car? Or uh, we, we, we find ourselves looking at others and all of a sudden that thing that before we were perfectly happy with, now we're just not content with. Whether it be a cell phone, yeah, we, 
we got the latest cell phone just a couple of months ago, but, but, but now, now I feel like I've got to upgrade because, because the new ones come out. Oh, you know, that car that we're driving, it's three years old. Got to get a new one. And the book of Proverbs warns us in this issue related to money and possessions. How do we walk in wisdom? We walk in wisdom by having a right perspective. We walk in wisdom by showing compassion towards those who have need and and not looking down on them, not placing our value or theirs on economic status. But also that means that we are careful that we're not trying to keep up with the Joneses. Proverbs 12, 9 says, better to be lowly and have a servant than to play the great man and lack bread. Now, I got to tell you, it would kind of be nice to have a servant. Uh, yeah, every time I go to, uh, do the la- to fold the laundry, I'm like, wow, we really need to get a servant to do this. But... And so we see that obviously this is, this, this is uh, uh, steeped in the historical setting in which Proverbs w- was written, and yet we understand the principle here. It is better to be in a lowly position and have what we need than to pretend like we're something more than we are so that we impress others, but in reality we have lack. Or another, Proverbs 13, 7, one pretends to be rich, yet has nothing. Another pretends to be poor, yet has great wealth. Some of us can maybe even think of people that we know who, who, who are emblematic of this statement. In fact, I would suggest that one of the great challenges that exists in our culture today, and if we were brutally honest with one another, probably for many in our church We have the appearance of having a lot, and we are up to our eyeballs in debt. Why? Because we didn't want to wait. Because we're trying to keep up. Because we want to present a certain status. Because we want to fit in. Spoke about marriage from the book of Proverbs last week, especially to those of you who are younger couples starting out. Let me just give a really practical consideration to you. Please, I beg you, do not try to buy for yourself the kind of house that your parents worked 30 years to be able to get. It's okay to live in a shoebox when you're starting out. Don't try to keep up with the Joneses. Because you'll never keep up with them. Somebody will always be further ahead. Because you will, you will take your eyes off of the Lord because your focus will be on other things. You will be in danger of finding yourself without what you need. And as Proverbs continues, even finding ourselves in a place of enslavement. The book of Proverbs instructs us that debt enslaves. So be careful of it and get out of it quickly. 
couple of passages, and these are just a few of the many that the book of Proverbs addresses. Proverbs 22, 7, the rich rules over the poor and the borrower is slave to the lender. Now, some of you feel that sense of enslavery. Others of you are like, no, oh, no, that, that, that's, that's kind of hyperbolic. That's overstating the case. But let me ask you, if God were today to call you To follow him in some area of life that meant that you were to step away from the salary that you have and take a position that, 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 that was much less or to go into an environment, would you be able to do it? Or would you say, oh God, I'd love to follow you, but, 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 but I can't because of the debt that we're carrying. The borrower is a slave to the lender because there is a sense in which we are not free. We have to meet that obligation. Likewise, Proverbs 6, 1 through 5, gives instruction about the urgency with, with, with which we should deal with debt. My son, if you have put up security for your neighbor, have given your pledge for a stranger, if you are snared in the words of your mouth or caught in the words of your mouth, then do this, my son, and save yourself. For you have come into the hand of your neighbor. Go, hasten, and plead urgently with your neighbor. Give your eyes no sleep and your eyelids no slumber. Save yourself like a gazelle from the hand of the hunter, like a bird from the hand of the fowler. It's talking about the fact that if you are indebted to anyone, make it an urgent priority to get out of that as soon as you can. Now, Scripture is not against taking on a loan when there is a need to do so. But we need to be wise. We need to practice all of the other principles that we find in Scripture surrounding it. And we need to seek to pay it off as quickly as we can. Uh, when we consider what we were talking about a moment ago about not keeping up with the Joneses, there is a principle all through the pages of Scripture about contentment, being content with what we have, not always striving for something more. Uh, there is a principle within the Scriptures about, uh, about doing the work of, of saving and, and preparing but as a part of this idea of not seeking to keep up, it is also the warning of the fact that if we seek to do that, we will never be satisfied. As followers of Christ, Proverbs would tell us that the fear of the Lord, that the exercise of wisdom would lead us to a modesty in our expenses, in our lifestyle, in the way in which we utilize the resources that God entrusts to us. And we want to be careful how we get the resources 
Because again, from beginning to end in the book of Proverbs, we see that the Lord hates those who get rich by injustice. Now again, I don't have to tell you that we live in a world where often the rich get rich and the poor get poor. And sometimes the reason that they're getting rich, as we'll see, is that they are working hard. They are practicing godly, wise principles. But it's also true, as you know, that there are, sadly, those who get rich by stepping on others on their way up the ladder. Now again, we are not to, uh, we are uh, 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 to be careful in our attitude to all because the Lord is the maker of all. But the warning is really to us that we not seek to get rich in such a way. Proverbs 21, 6, the getting of treasure by a lying tongue is a fleeting vapor and a snare of death. Trying to get ahead through lying seems to make sense in some situations. Doesn't last. And the end of it is death. Whoever oppresses the poor to increase his own wealth or gives to the rich will only come to poverty. Do not rob the poor because he is poor or crush the afflicted at the gate for the Lord will plead their cause and rob of life those who rob them. Now, some of these statements we might think to ourselves, well, I, you know, I'm not really sure if that's true. Uh, is, is it really true that those who oppress the poor to increase their own wealth or give to the rich will only come to poverty? Because it sure seems like, like, like some of the people that we know of who are doing that in our world are, are, are only coming to greater wealth. But we have to understand that when we see rich and poor, when we see wealth and poverty within the book of Proverbs, it is not just talking about financial or material wealth. It is, it is talking about uh, life and fulfillment. It is talking about contentment in the things uh, that God has entrusted to us. It is talking about a uh, a shalom, a, 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 a wholeness and peace in life. And so while it is true that we live in a world where there are many who are getting richer at the expense of others who are getting poorer, they may not always, those who are getting richer may not always come to, to material poverty, but they are robbing themselves and ending up in a place in a sense of spiritual bankruptcy before God. But more than that, God takes it seriously. The oppression of those who are in need, the oppression of the afflicted, God takes personally. And he has said, I will uphold their cause. Be wise in how you get money. Be wise in how you invest it. Be wise in your pursuit of it. Do it in a way that honors the Lord.
the Lord loves those who are generous to the poor. So the Lord hates those who oppress the poor. But again and again in Proverbs and really all throughout Scripture, we're told that the Lord loves those who are generous to the poor. Proverbs 14, 21, whoever despises his neighbor, we looked at this one a moment ago, is a sinner. But blessed is he who is generous to the poor. In Proverbs 14, 31, whoever oppresses a poor man insults his maker, but he who is generous to the needy honors him. God delights in those who are generous with what has been entrusted to them. See, everything that we have ultimately belongs to the Lord. God has not given up ownership of anything. Your house, it's not yours. Your car, it's not yours. The money in your bank account, not yours. Everything we have, the breath in your lungs, not yours. Everything that we have, we have on loan from God. How are we using wisely what he has given to us? And so, these principles kind of pile up one on the next, on the next, and we'll put them together in just a few minutes. And so, if, if the Lord loves those who are generous to those who have need, and we also need to recognize, and we've got to be careful of this, because there are some who teach a false message, a so-called prosperity gospel that distorts this biblical truth. But Proverbs is clear that you cannot outgive God. Proverbs 3, 9, and 10 says, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits, fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. And likewise, Proverbs 11, One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched, and one who waters will himself be watered. The Apostle Paul speaks of the same principle uh, to the church in Corinth in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 9. And, and in God's economy, he delights to bring blessing and provision to those who are generous with what he's entrusted to them. In fact, all throughout Scripture, we see the principle that those who are faithful in small things will be entrusted with greater things. Now, again, this is not a pure statement that is saying that if you give, then you will get more back in terms of material possessions or wealth. Rather, what this is saying is, that those who refresh others, those who are generous toward others, God knows how to meet their needs in every area. 
and that there is a joy, there is a a fulfillment, there is a satisfaction, there is a contentment. And yes, there is a provision that God delights to give to those who honor Him, who trust Him, who recognize that all they have is from Him and that we are stewards. So when it comes to the matter of money, one of the ways in which we free ourselves from the grip of control that it often so easily has on our life is to hold everything we have with open hands. Lord, it's available to you. Show me how you would have me use this for your glory and for the blessing of others. Just a couple more that the book of Proverbs instructs us about. Proverbs tells us that hard work and good decision-making usually lead to increased prosperity. Again, Proverbs is an instruction about, uh, about living wisely in God's world, applying biblical truth to life. And while there are exceptions to all of these, the book of Proverbs really isn't a book of promises. It is all about us learning the fear of the Lord and bringing every area of our life under His Lordship and the wisdom that comes from doing that. Well, it's certainly true that generally speaking, hard work pays off. Hard work leads to increased prosperity. There's a longer passage here in Proverbs chapter 6. Proverbs chapter 6 uses the example of the ant. Beginning in verse 6, we read these words, Go to the ant, O sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief officer or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you rise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. And so there, the analogy, the picture is given of, uh, of the ants who are working diligently, who are preparing uh, uh, ahead, who are storing up so when they have need, they have already uh, uh, set aside the provision. But that takes hard and continuous work. The opposite of that is to be the sluggard, is to be the one who kind of sits back, not doing anything, and yet still expecting to have every need provided. And so there is a warning there about not being a sluggard, but instead applying ourselves diligently. Proverbs 10, 4 and 5, a slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. He who gathers in summer is a prudent son, but he who sleeps in harvest is a son who brings shame. And again, there, there, is a, there is a time for work. There is a time for setting aside. There is a wisdom that we need to have so that we can experience the provision that we need because in God's world, hard work and diligence is the way in which he has ordained for our provision to be met. Proverbs 13, wealth gained hastily will dwindle, 
but whoever gathers little by little will increase it. You know, sometimes we want the money quickly. I mean, just every time the lottery has a big, uh, a, a big price, everybody goes out to buy a lottery ticket. How often do you hear good stories of somebody who wins the lottery and they, they, they end up in a really good, secure, stable, happy, contented place? Not very often. But hard work, diligence, gradual, slow, continuous building brings the increase. And then precious treasure and oil are in a wise man's dwelling, but a foolish man devours it. And so we see here in these Proverbs, not only the importance of hard work and diligence, but also of wise use of what we have. If you spend everything that you get every month, it's foolish. If you spend more than you get every month, it's very foolish. Now, there are challenges that we face. There are times of peculiar difficulty, but we must be wise and diligent with what we have and steward it well. Money cannot give you ultimate security. And again, Proverbs really builds in a sense to this on this issue of money. Whoever trusts in his riches will fall, but the righteous will flourish like green leaf. In Proverbs 23, do not toil to acquire wealth. Be discerning enough to desist. When your eyes light on it, it is gone. For suddenly it sprouts wings, flying like an eagle toward heaven. I, I can attest to that. My money has a tendency of sprouting wings. Some of you maybe feel the same way. And so it seems, hold on a second, because a moment ago you were saying, be diligent, work hard, and you'll increase in wealth. But now you're saying, now you're saying um, uh, do not acquire, uh, do not toil to acquire wealth. So which one is it? Well, the, the point is, what is your goal? Where are you placing your trust? Is your confidence in what you can produce to your, for yourself? Or is the reason that you're working so that you can make yourself secure? It's true that there is a certain degree of security that comes from having some money in the bank. It is wise to have a savings account. And not just the account, actually, to have some savings in the savings account. It's wise. But don't put your trust in it. Don't put your hope in it. Don't wear yourself out with working, thinking that if I can just build up this huge enough nest egg, then, then I am well taken care of, because it comes back then to where we started. Lord, don't give me so much that I forget you. Friends, we are needful of the Lord in every moment of every day, in every circumstance and situation. Money ultimately cannot give us security. And finally, money, it isn't everything. It's not everything. It's a lot here, as you can tell in the book of Proverbs, uh, that it has to say because, you see, money fights for the affection of our hearts. But money, money doesn't satisfy. We're not going to look at every one of these passages, but I encourage you to look them up perhaps this week. 
Money ultimately doesn't satisfy. That's actually the passage we looked at just a moment ago about it sprouting wings and flying away. Money is inferior to wisdom. Over and over again in the book of Proverbs, we're told, get wisdom. Wisdom is better than gold. Wisdom is better than silver. Wisdom is better than than abundance because what does any of that matter if we do not know the fear of the Lord and we don't know what it is to experience the joy of living life before him in a way that brings contentment to the soul? Money is inferior to righteousness. Again, we live in a, a world where often there's this idea of who needs righteousness when you have money? Who needs morality when you have money? Who needs rules when you have money? But no, righteousness, knowing that our standing before God is right because of Christ and what he has done for us in his death and his resurrection is far surpassing all that this world has to offer. Money is inferior to the fear of the Lord. It's inferior to humility. And it's inferior to good relationships. We see in Proverbs 15, verse 17, better is a dinner of herbs where love is than a fatted ox and hatred with it. In chapter 17, Verse 1, better a dry morsel with quiet than a house full of feasting with strife. Many pursue money, and in doing so, they leave relationships, even within their home, ill-cared for, broken. What do they have at the end of the day? An impressive bank statement and a broken home. Be on guard. Money isn't everything. In fact, the book of Proverbs, if we are to understand money in a biblical sense, we need to accept some truths that seem to be inconsistent with one another, but there is a a godly tension. For example, You'll probably acquire more money if you work hard and are full of wisdom. But if all you care about is getting more money, you are the biggest fool. Money is a blessing from God. But you'll be more blessed if you give it away. God gives you money because he is generous. But he is generous so that you and I can be generous with others. And if you are generous with your money, God will likely be more generous with you. It is wise to save money. But don't ever think that your savings give you true security. Wealth 
is more desirable than poverty. But wealth is not as good as righteousness. It's not as good as humility. It's not as good as wisdom. It's not as good as good relationships. And it's not as good as the fear of the Lord. And so, Jesus, when he spoke to his disciples in the Sermon on the Mount, warned them, instructed them. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. It's impossible. So we come back to where we started, that that there is a sense in which money, while needed in this world, makes a wonderful servant, but a terrible master. So how do you see it? What's your perspective on money? What are you working for? How are you using that which God has given to you? Friends, today, I hope that you know the joy of living with Christ as your Savior and Lord. To live under the Lordship of Christ means every area of every part of all our lives to be obedient to Him. During the terrible era in history that we often refer to as the Crusades, um, mercenaries were hired to fight. And they had no interest in God, but because it was supposedly a holy war. The Roman Catholic Church insisted that they be baptized before they could fight. And so these mercenaries would go, and they would go into the waters of baptism. And before they were baptized, they would draw their sword. They would hold it over their heads. They would uh, be baptized. But it was a symbolic of the fact that, Lord, I give you everything except for my sword. And they felt that that then gave them freedom to act however they wished in battle. One of the great challenges that you and I face in the midst of our world today is that many of us in coming to Christ, in undergoing the waters of baptism, say, all to Jesus I surrender, all to Him I freely give. Lord, I give you everything, but not my wallet, not my bank book. That I keep for myself. May we Surrender all and know the joy that comes from walking in God's wisdom. And I think that 1 Timothy chapter 6 helps us with a vision for your life and for mine as to how we put into practice the principles that the book of Proverbs have shown us. As for the rich in this present age... And in reality, that's really every one of us. Charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us 
with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasures for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may may take hold of that which is truly life. Money affects every area of our lives. Let us bring our money, our resources, our possessions, and our work under the Lordship of Christ. He gives us good things for our enjoyment, but don't set your hope in them. He gives us good things for His glory, so use them in a way that brings glory to Him. He gives us good things so that we can be generous with others. May we walk in wisdom and in the fear of the Lord. Father, we thank you that in this very practical an important area of our lives, you have not remained silent. Lord, we've looked at a lot of things quickly this morning. And we confess to you that often this area of wealth and possessions is something that wrestles for control and for attention in our lives. Would you help us to bring it under the Lordship of Christ? to recognize that every good and perfect gift comes from you and to use all that we have for your glory. Lord, I pray for those of us who are struggling in the area of finances right now, who are facing difficulty either because of decisions in the past that we have made, the consequences of which financially we are still facing, or because we find ourselves for whatever reason, in a situation where our outgoings are more than our income. Lord, I pray that you would give us wisdom. I pray that you would uh, help us to see where we need to make adjustments. And Lord, if there are any who are out of work, desiring to be diligent and to provide, or in a situation where they are underemployed and unable to fully meet the needs of the family. Lord, we pray especially for them that today that you would give them peace and perseverance, that you would open for them a position that you yourself have prepared, that you would meet their needs, and that together, Lord, uh, we would help to carry the burdens that exist within this body and within our families. Thank you that your ways are good. Teach us to walk in them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's rise together one more time and respond in song to this word we've received together.
Thank you for joining us this Sunday morning as we worshiped our God together. By the grace of God, may we not set our hope on things that are perishing, but on the riches of his mercy in Christ and on the certainty of the hope of our salvation through faith in him. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance towards you and give you peace. Amen. Have a great week.